Have you been hitting the books and listening to lectures all day? It's time to relax, to unwind, and listen up. This is Brooke from Campus Chronicles, your go-to podcast for everything student life. No matter where you are in your academic journey, we have you covered. Think of us as a trusted mentor, friend, and confidant who always has your back. We'll be sharing inspiring stories, thought-provoking insights, and practical advice to help you succeed in and out of the classroom. So get ready to be inspired, enlightened, and entertained. I am so, so excited to introduce you to an absolutely amazing woman. Her name is Jen McFarland, and she is from Monarch Dawn. Jen, thank you for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to dive into a topic that I know has impacted me in my life personally quite a lot. And that's, you know, being neurodiverse in our classrooms and neurodiverse in our campus experiences. Unfortunately, for so long, neurotypical has been the norm. And sometimes we haven't had the resources and the support needed for neurodiverse students. So we are going to get to dive into that very exciting and nuanced topic but before we really get into the actionable strategies, how did you get interested in supporting those with ADHD, supporting those with ADD, overall supporting the neurodiverse student? Well, it started when my son's kindergarten teacher said, hey, he's got some issues and you have to get him formally evaluated. Otherwise, we can't give him any extra help at school. and. It was kind of a puzzler to me because the things that she said he was missing, he knew at home, um, which is kind of one of the traits of ADHD is that you can have a difficult time sharing the knowledge that you have during testing when you're stressed. So that's what was happening with him. Um, and so I started at that point and started supporting him and learning everything I could about ADHD when he was six. and. Uh, and just continuing on through his school career, it became clear to me that I also had ADHD, um, which was kind of interesting because his father does also. So <laughs> I thought that's where he got it from. So yeah, I I came from just uh, really having a neurodiverse family and just learning how to support my son and then uh, ultimately myself. Right. And you do have to advocate, right? to stand up for yourself and to stand up for your needs and your values. And that can be so hard for students that are away from home for the first time and don't necessarily have a parent or a parental figure to advocate for them. Do you have advice in that type of a situation for a student that's having to advocate for themselves and having to go to bat and say, this isn't right for me? It's very difficult, it seems, for people who aren't dealing with ADHD to really understand where you're coming from. And I found one of the parts of disconnect was we would be saying the same thing, but meaning two different things. So to start with, make sure everybody's really very clear about the, the just the foundational things. You know, this is the definition of when I say I need support with this. You know, for instance, my my son had an IEP plan where that said that he could do movement in class. 
And his teacher interpreted that as walking back and forth to the water fountain in between classes. And that wasn't nearly enough activity for him to really, really be able to regulate himself in class. So let's make sure everybody's on the same page with definitions. When I say I need this accommodation, this is what I really mean. Uh, when I say I'm struggling with, you know, this part of the classwork or this part of the environment, this is, you know, be very clear in your definition and make sure everybody is on the same page and then go from there. Absolutely. And I think we can have so much shame, right, around asking for help. I think it's hard to say this is what I need. You know, do you have advice for that emotional component as well beyond the tactical this is how you support me, how would you suggest a student get more comfortable asking for help? Because it can feel very vulnerable. Absolutely. Um, even a, as a parent, I felt kind of like, well, these people are the educators. They know what they're talking about. And I'm just, you know, on the parent side of things, trying to trying to explain myself. Um, I think get support Find someone, whether it's a friend, whether it's um, someone on campus designed for, you know, supporting a student, whether it's a parent, get some support so that you're not coming in there all by yourself. Support yourself with research. Say, here, here's the latest research. Here's the paperwork. This is where I'm coming from. You know, I've read these articles or I've consulted you know, this expert and this is what they say. So that's where I'm coming from with this. This isn't just something I came up with on my own. And practice. Practice with somebody, a best friend, you know, your pillow. It doesn't have to be like make it incredibly low stakes. Practice in the mirror. Give yourself the, the chance to get comfortable saying those words and give yourself as much support as you can while you work your way through that process. Because advocating for yourself for the first time, like we just talked about, it's not easy. No, and, and a lot of times you don't know what you need until you bump up against the problem. So you can walk into a classroom or a meeting and say, well, this is great. Everything is fantastic. Like, I can do this. This is, this is fantastic. Um, and it's only after you've been to maybe one or two classes that you realize, well, the environment's really noisy and I'm having a hard time, you know, being able to concentrate or perhaps the teaching style isn't something that really clicks with you. Uh, and you're like, OK, now now what do I do? How do I you know, this teacher isn't obviously going to change. What do I do to support myself in the meantime? And that's when I think it's great to go to resources, people who are are talking about ADHD and talking about neurodiversity and you find the you find the answers and the solutions with people who are already, you know, have already worked through it and support yourself as you go. I love that you mentioned teaching style. Every person has a different teaching style. I know that the way that I teach or the way that I learn is different than from the way that my sister and my best friend and so on and so forth. Let's actually dive into the teacher conversation a little bit, because I do think there are teachers that want to, even at the college level, the high school level, the middle school level, there are teachers that want to support, but sometimes we can get so stuck. It's, it's you know, if a friend has gone through a hard time and we don't know 
what to say. So we don't say anything at all. I find that that can happen when we're talking about supporting is I don't want to do it wrong. So I'm not going to do it. I think that it makes a lot of sense to consider it a dynamic relationship. Like you're not going to say, this is the support I need and it's going to be the perfect support and they're going to do that thing for you perfectly. It's going to say, let's try this and let's give it two, two times in class and then we'll get back together and see how that's working for both of us. And I think making sure you understand that this is a, this is a work in progress. You're not going to find the perfect support and every person is going to deliver that to you perfectly, or you're going to be able to receive it every single time perfectly. If you just had a bad night's sleep, you know, that support, which could be adequate when you're well rested or, you know, well fed is all of a sudden not enough in a different change of circumstance. So just practice, give yourself grace. And if you do have a, a teacher who's supportive, say, let's make this a, an ongoing relationship, an ongoing process. So what advice would you have around teachers making sure that when someone comes to them for support, how do they make sure that they are not only adequately giving the support, but affirming the fact that someone was bold enough to ask? I think that anytime you you have someone who comes to you and is is open and vulnerable with that kind of information, first step is to affirm, hey, great, thank you for being willing to trust me with this. Also being open of, I know a lot about this and I can help you out or I don't know anything about this and I'm going to need, you know, we're going to need to work together to come up with um, with options that are good for you. So giving reciprocal trust, someone's vulnerable and, and gives you, you know, opens up something to you, then you go ahead and, and are honest about where you are with your knowledge or your experience in that, you know, that time. And, uh, and I would say as a teacher, it makes a lot of sense to address some accommodations to the entire class so that no one is singled out and say, here's three options I can think of accommodations. If you need something else or if you think something else could be helpful to anybody in the class, send me an email, write a suggestion, you know, talk to me after class and, and let's make this a community. Let's make this a, a supportive experience for everybody in the class because something that's very visual, it's not going to help every person. Something that is all audio, not going to help every person. Uh, so it, it makes sense to really be flexible so that you can support a diverse group of all sorts of different needs and skills. And I love that you brought up the actual learning styles, visual, kinesthetic, audio. I'm an audio learner. And the way that I learn is very different than someone that likes to see pictures or that likes to draw pictures. So the other thing I would add to what you said is if you know something about yourself and it's information that you've collected and you know it's been true for you, let people know, you know, and that is a way to avoid problems before you're falling behind before you're nervous, before you're stressed. And sometimes when I hire someone to help me in my business now, or even back when I was in college, it's, hey, I'm an audio learner. 
I learned by people saying things to me because I would have people try to draw pictures and it all looked like Greek to me. I was like, who in the world would this help? So if you know something, take an inventory and say, this is how I learn. This is how I see the world. This is how the world feels to me. Because we neglect that the way that you see the world, the way that you feel the world, the way that you experience the world also has a humongous impact on neurodiversity on the way that you learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Something else that just came to mind. Um, I know an awful lot of people who have ADHD uh, doodle and draw the whole time, you know, whenever they're in a meeting. Let your teacher also know what kind of accommodations you use. So they might not, you know, if, if they look at you and you're constantly looking down at your notebook and doodling because that's what helps you focus while you listen, you need to let them know, I'm not checked out. This is how I focus. Um, if you're staring off into space or like I always have something to fidget with in my hands, again, if in, in different experiences, people will feel like, oh, you're checked out or you're disrespectful, you're daydreaming, you're not really here, you're not, you know, being present for this class. It could be completely opposite of what you're actually trying to accomplish. So that could be another really good conversation to have with the teacher of I will get better grades if you don't mind if I doodle or if I mess with my hands or, you know, do something else to support myself so I can concentrate. And I think it goes back to the self-awareness conversation of this is what I've seen work or this is what I know doesn't work for me, too. It's kind of like, you know, blind dating or, or going on first dates. You go in knowing, OK, these are the things that I know don't work for me. And that can be just as valuable, too, as what you know you know, tried and true does work is, hey, I know it doesn't work when you ask me to listen for 90 minutes straight. I know that that won't work for me and who that I, who I am. And we see that a lot with testing with, you know, um, ACT testing with even our larger exams in college. It's let's sit for two hours. And if you know that that doesn't work for you and you know that your testing is not going to reflect your actual knowledge, Broach the conversation before it becomes an issue so that you aren't having to play catch up so that you don't have the guilt and the shame to worry about. Because then it's like pushing two boulders up a hill when you're logistically behind and you have a lot of guilt and you have a lot of shame. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, I was attending a, a course that I had gotten involved in and I didn't have my fidget stuff with me. And I was really, really having a hard time staying focused and listening to what was going on. And uh, you can even see me now. I'm kind of twisting a little bit in my chair. And I, I had to be in motion. I had to be doing something. I, I had to excuse myself for a second and go get something to be able to mess with so that I could focus. And um, I, I even apologized for it later. You know, sorry if I, you know, if I seemed like I was, you know distracted because I I was and I didn't follow my my regular protocol that made it so I could be present. So yeah, it's important to give yourself grace and be kind when those kinds of experiences happen and not beat yourself up because that it's not helpful. It doesn't actually get you into a better spot. And you're the only person in your life that you can control. So why not 
speak nicely to yourself. Why not speak kindly to yourself and treat yourself with grace? You're not guaranteed that anyone else will. So make sure it's you. Make sure you're always treating yourself with grace. Let's dive into that for a second, because I think our internal monologue is isn't really deeply important. But I love the way that you say that you're the only person that's necessarily guaranteed to be nice to yourself in any given day. How do you put that into practice? It is really hard, uh, especially if like like for for me in my instance, I didn't really, really understand how much ADHD was affecting me till basically I had raised all my kids and I was in middle age. Wow. So you went through all of your schooling career without even knowing. I was 46 before I really started, you know, there was really good information to let help me understand exactly what it was I was dealing with. And then I could see how big of an impact Um, because before then I thought I was just failing to do the things that should come easily and be normal. Uh, And I just felt like I was just failing versus being different. So one thing that has really helped me is a uh, uh, gratitude practice, which I know feels maybe kind of corny and cheesy, uh, but I firmly believe that gratitude is for each individual person. It's not about how, it's not about being positive uh, for anyone else but yourself. And by having a gratitude practice, it really is it's rewiring your brain in a way so that you start looking at things positively. And one of those things is going to be yourself. You have to deliberately cultivate a practice of treating yourself kindly and and with grace. You have to catch the times that you're negative towards yourself and and have a plan in place of what, you know, what do I do? When I recognize I've got that negative voice, you know, giving me a hard time about myself again Uh, and you need a plan and then you and then you can execute the plan of like, okay, it may be true that I messed up, but that does, you know, that's not a unique characteristic of myself. Every human being has made mistakes and I can learn from it, I can grow from it, and I can move on, knowing I'll make mistakes again in the future and that I'll get over it in the future too. Mm-hmm. And we do have two separate voices in our heads, and I can see that even within myself. And it's easy to give the microphone, you know, figuratively to this negative voice because it's loud and because that's what our media shows us. And it's what When we see a grade that we didn't want to see on the top of our paper, it's easy to jump to that. And it's so much harder to intentionally say, hey, positive voice, I want to give you a chance to talk because that negative voice does, you know, run over or stop that other voice so often from speaking to us. Even though they're both there, I believe that the negative and the positive voices are always there for us. Yeah. And, you know, we, we as human beings, we have a negativity bias and you can, you can use that to your advantage. You can say, okay, I know that I'm going to probably see the negative side of this first. What's the next thing I'm going to do? Am I going to stay in that negativity? Am I going to continue 
to go down that way? Or am I going to go, oh, here's the negative and it's real and it's true. And I'm not trying to deny the actual experience of the, of what I'm going through. But now what else is true? What positive thing is also true? And that gives you the balance and that gives you the support so you don't stay in that negativity. Let's actually circle back to the ADHD and the neurodiversity conversation. What are the three tips? And this is going to be a loaded question for you. What are the three tips or the three things that you would say to someone that's struggling right now? It could be struggling in classes. It could be struggling with time management, struggling to juggle everything that is often thrown at a student, particularly a university student. One of the things with ADHD is that we do not create habits easily and naturally the way that other people do. So that is that has been kind of my go-to fix in order to get a handle on making change. Because if you're struggling, that means you're in a situation where things aren't going well. So you need to reassess and readjust, do something differently. So it's really difficult for us to do things consistently. Consistency is the thing that's kind of built in to so much of our society, and that's what we struggle with. So if you pick one thing, pick the first, like the top priority thing that you feel like is the biggest source of your struggle, and then go, okay, what's the consistent behavior that I need to start, you know, start to do in order to address this one thing. Once you figure out, you know, here's here's the biggest top priority struggle, here's the consistent behavior I could do to counteract it. The next thing you do is you start going, what do I do well? Where have there have been times that I've succeeded at accomplishing anything? It doesn't have to be similar. It doesn't have to be, you know, it, it doesn't have to be something that is associated with this. Anytime that you've accomplished something that was meaningful to you, it could be personal best. It could be, you know, it could be, I got, you know, I, I became employee of the month at my fast food part-time job. Doesn't matter what it is. What have you succeeded at? Okay, what was the environment? What were the things that went into that success? And you look at things like what kind of support system? Were you independent in it? Or did you have a boss, a coach, a mentor, a teacher, something like that? What was the environment like? Who was around you? And what were the steps you took in order to accomplish that? And then you copy those success steps into this consistent action that you want to take. If you're a person who's very independent and you don't want to be in a club or a group or a study, whatever, great. Lean into that. Do that. You don't have to do things that are going to be uncomfortable to you in order to be successful. Do whatever comes naturally to you. If you're independent, okay, great. I need a study time. Now you pick a time and a place, the environment that's really going to be good for you to study in, not just the most um, easily accessed. And you then put more, you know, like, okay, I needed a framework. Independent study. I have spot at the library that's perfect for me. uh, And I had a step-by-step 
program that I found in a book. Then you just do the same thing when it comes to whatever it is that you're struggling with. Maybe you're better in a group. Then you find a study buddy. You find a group uh, online, in person, whatever, and you get involved with that and get into that environment so that you can be supported in your goal. And there's not one right or wrong way, because when you said that there are people that are independent, I'm fiercely independent. If you put me in a study group, I won't go. Right. But then there are people, many of whom are my close friends, where they won't go if they don't have the date with someone else. And so it really is, again, taking that inventory of what are the things that make sense for me? And they don't have to be justifiable to anyone but you. I have a very interesting question circling back to you. It's something I'm very curious about the more that I'm hearing you talk. How do you feel differently knowing how to support yourself versus the first 46 years of your life where you didn't have those resources, where you didn't have that self-compassion, where you weren't necessarily able to say, I'm going to advocate for myself in this way? I can truly say it's a night and day difference. And I felt very hopeless before I recognized how to support myself with um, behavior change. Because very frequently I would say, oh, this needs to change. This needs to be different. And I would be distracted before I actually followed through on the actions that it took to get me where I wanted to go. Um, uh, the family very regularly went to water parks and there was one year that I'm trudging up the stairs to this water slide with my kids. And it's like, I got to get in shape. Like this is, this is really, really like I'm winded and I'm miserable, but I love doing this. So I got to get in shape. Like this is ridiculous. So next year when we come back, I'll be better. And I remember being halfway up that water slide the year later, the next time going, I didn't do anything. This is important to me. This is something that's really beneficial in my life and I'm not doing it. And it felt very, very hopeless. Like I would constantly be stuck in this loop of making this, this decision and then not following through. So now that I know that I can pretty much change any behavior that I want to, i I'm very hopeful. I look forward to the future of like, okay, things might not be perfect right now, but that's okay because I know how to, I know how to handle it. I know how to accomplish the things that are important to me now. That's a very, that's profound, right? Between the hopeless and the hopeful. What imparting wisdom would you give to students if you could just do one little golden nugget, one little tiny Cliff Notes version is my favorite way to say it. Your academic time your career in school is for you this is for you this is your life this is your experience so make it the best for you that you can support yourself as much as you possibly can and don't be afraid don't be afraid to come up and and get the support you need even if it's not something that you see everybody else doing because ultimately it is your success. It is your life and they're going to go on with their lives and 
not care that they saw you fidgeting with something in class or, you know, that maybe you took extra time to study or talk to the teacher more. It's not going to make any difference to anybody else, but it will make a tremendous difference in your life and your enjoyment of your life. Right. So that when you look back, because it is a finite amount of time, when you look back, you say, I did the thing that was right for me. Now, if someone wants to get involved and wants to learn more about Monarch Dawn and the things that you do, how can they find you? How can they connect with you? How can they get to know you? The best way right now is through my uh, website, just monarchdawn.com. And there you can sign up to um, have a, a talk with me, a Zoom talk that's totally free, or, um, or send me an email to get in touch. I have, a, I have a book that helps as a DIY guide to creating habits that's on Amazon. So that's also something you can do to support yourself. And, uh, and yeah, I'm always interested and excited to be able to talk with people and support them in their ADHD journey because I have found some of the most supportive, kind, interesting, fun people in the AD. HD community and it's just a great place to to build and connect oh my goodness well thank you so much for joining us jen it has been it's been a lot of fun did you have fun too i had so much fun it was insightful i am so excited to see what people take away and what they learn from this amazing conversation me too thank you for joining me on campus chronicles i hope you found our discussion informative inspiring, entertaining, and fun. We are always working hard to make sure that our episodes are the very best they can be, which means we need your help. If you liked what you heard, remember to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast platform and drop us a review. It helps us to connect with more students who are hungry for success. And remember, the journey never stops. Keep listening, keep learning, keep growing. See you next week for another amazing episode of Campus Chronicles.